So we, uh, Vicky and I lead a church in the north of England. It's a, it's a multi-site church. It's in eight sites across a region. And um, our past, there's 600,000 people in our region, and our passion is that every single one of them needs to know about Christ. I'm not trying to build a big church. I'm trying to reach 600,000 people. And then we do ministry around the world, and we have fun. If you Let me get the plugging out of the way. If you want to stay connected, there's just a postcard. That's all we've brought today on reception, and it's a way through our website. We've got all kinds of resources, courses, video, audio, um, from everything from leadership to the prophetic to depression to miracles. Uh, it's all on there. Have a little look. Pick up a postcard. That's the end of the plug. Is that the way all preachers should do it? Yeah. Short and sweet, right? There's no such thing as a, a bad short sermon. Did you know that? So think it through. I always tell people, if you're not that good, just make sure it's short, then everyone will tolerate you. So um, I'm, I, I'll turn 50 next year. You're supposed to say, really? You, you, I can't believe it. That's what you're, honestly, it must be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and Nivea, that's what it is, just keeps me going, keeps me young. Okay, I'm, I am looking more and more haggard the more I lead church. But anyway, let's just keep keep going. Don't stop. But uh, I've been going to church since I was 10 days old. We used to go five times on a Sunday. We were that family. There's always one family that would turn up at everything, right? So we would go. So I, I have sat through thousands of services, and I've heard thousands of sermons. Any of you? Yeah. You've got that look on your face, a little bit glazed over. You've you kind of heard it all before. And it, it's amazing. There's two kinds of service that I remember um, the first one that I remember, the, a, a very memorable service. So I grew up in an Assemblies of God Pentecostal church in the 70s. I mean, you know, we were still wondering whether drums were of the devil. It's that era, okay? We had an organ and a piano. And, and, um, but I, I remember we would take communion. I don't know how you guys do communion, but do you do them in the little cups this big? Yeah. Like the, the thimbles? Yeah. Like Russian shot glasses, do you know what I mean? And, you see, when you look at it, you go, well, my cup runneth over. If you spat in it, it would run over. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, thank you for your generosity, Lord. And it's not even wine, it's Ribena. What are you doing to us? You know what I mean? What's, what's going on? So I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and every single Sunday, at the same time in the service, the pastor would get up and read the same scripture, same, take, say the same words. And there was maybe six or 700 people in this, in this church, and, and, all, and it all used to be left in the pews. So at the same time, 600 tongue-talking Pentecostals would lift up 600 little thimbles of Ribena to their lips and take it all together. This one Sunday, it came to the moment when you would take the Ribena and, and they all lifted it and, and, and began to drink the Ribena. And my mum was the, was, was the first. We used to sit at the front. We were that family. We used to sit at the front. And my mum drank it and then screamed. I was too young to take communion at this point. I would have been about six years old. She just screamed and then ran. And the toilets were out the front and down some stairs. So she ran out the front and down the stairs. And and she was screaming in, in horror as she ran down the stairs thinking, Pastor is going to kill me. And she's running down, but all of a sudden she realizes 600 Pentecostals running after her. And they run down into the toilets. There's five Pentecostals in each cubicle puking into the toilets. There's, there's Pentecostals gathered around each sink being sick. There's false teeth gathering in the sink. The guest speaker is lying on the platform with bubbles coming from his mouth. Somebody had put bleach in the communion wine. No, it's fantastic. It's about the only service I can remember. Because I, I don't know about you, I have a very low boredom threshold. When I read the book of Acts, and I look at the early church, 
I kind of get the idea that God comes to church, miracles, signs, and wonders take place. God breaks out in society. The church is meant to be causing riots, not having nice little meetings that no one can remember. We're supposed to be out changing and transforming society and having an effect. I don't know about you. I'm 50 years old. I've been to thousands of services. I love it when God comes to church. We have a saying in our church, our church only feels right when it's riding on a move of God. It's the only time we feel, okay, everything's in place. Why? Because at the center of it, God is moving. And I don't want the only services I remember and the only times I remember to be when things go wrong. I want it to be when God comes to church. Turn to Psalm uh, 42. Let's read some Bible. Because if your heart is like mine, I long, do you have this saying over here? For those red letter days. Those days that you circle in your diary, your journal, and you go, that was extraordinary. You see, church, our greatest danger is not immorality, it's dullness. It's that we do this cultural thing called church and never encounter God, as the Bible says. There is supposed to be glory in the church. Amen. So can I just be honest for a moment? I'm a pastor, and I get bored at church. Somebody look at your neighbor and go, thank God for that. Do you know why the last song in church is always the happiest? Because we're going to go and watch the football or the Grand Prix or whatever it is you watch over here, right? Now, I, I admire the faithfulness of people that will come to the most boring church services in the world. I've got a feeling they're not like that here. Just every other church, right? I want God to sweep into my world. I believe in moves of God. I don't believe God is a Jedi force that just you tap into. You know, it's kind of just, oh, he's just there. I believe God is a person that walks into rooms and you know it. Psalm 42, one of the, my favorite verses and a real cry of my heart. Verse 1 says, as the deer pants for streams of water, everything begins with longing. You have no longing, you'll have nothing. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants. Not for church, not for songs, not for stuff, not even for sermons. My soul pants for you. Do you know you can go to church and yet you still, you walk out with hunger pangs for God still and say, that didn't satisfy me. The sermon didn't do it for me. The song didn't. It's not the pastor's fault. Sometimes it's where we're looking. My soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When can I go and meet God? Can you get the heart of the psalmist there? I don't want to meet church. I don't want to meet the temple. I don't want to meet the songs. I don't want to meet the paraphernalia of ministry. When do I get to do the God bit? When does God breathe into church and I go, God is in this place? 
Is your heart like mine? I long for those moments when God is in this place. And here the psalmist is right where my heart lives most of the time. God, I'll do all this stuff for you. It's right to do. It's good to do. It's healthy to do. But God, I'd much prefer if you breathed into church than, than, I, than that I got to preach my sermon. God, I want you to walk into this room. And the psalmist, who's obviously going through a dull and struggling and difficult time, the verse goes on to one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Maybe for some of you, it's yours too. In, in about verse 5, he's saying, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why disturb within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I'll remember you from the land of Jordan to the heights of Hermon. Here we go, verse 7. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Something deep in me connects with something deep in God. Where? In the roar of the waterfall. Now, I've stood at the, at the top of Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe where they, they call it, the local name means the smoke that thunders. There's a roar around a waterfall. And as you stand there and the water's cascading down, you hear a roar. And then I've been out on the Maid in the Mist in Canada at Niagara Falls. And as you, you head out towards the falls, and now you're not at the top, you're at the bottom where the roar actually happens. And there you are getting closer and closer to this vertical body of water that's crashing down and, and spray is hitting you in the face and, you, and I'm looking up at Niagara Falls and I'm thinking, okay, this is what it's supposed to be like to meet God. God isn't some tidy little song. God is God. And suddenly there you are and it feels like you're five meters. You're probably a hundred meters, but you feel so close because it's so powerful. And there you are listening to and looking at the roar of the waterfall. And I remember this scripture, deep calls to deep in the roar of the waterfall. I want to ask you this morning, are you in the roar of God's waterfall? What is a waterfall? It's when a higher body of water hits a lower place and there's a roar that takes place. Do we know that in Acts chapter 2 there was a higher body of power and the Holy Spirit and a river from heaven that was poured out and suddenly the church began to roar as the waterfall hits their hearts. There's a place we can live in the roar of God's waterfall and for me it's the only place that satisfies my heart. I believe so many Christians live in drought, trying to do religion from earth to heaven. And they forget that actually all this started in God's mind. And if we can put ourselves, ooh, I just got an old song lyric come to mind. Get under the spout where the glory comes out. <laughs> come on, it's a good one. All you younger guys are like, what is he on about? Come on, any old penties in this room, get under the spout. Where the get into the roar of the waterfall where those deep things in you that sometimes you don't even know why you feel like you do. You know, some people backslide over their God hunger pangs because they do not know what to do with it and they can't find a church that satisfies it. It's because church can't do it. We can, we can provide it, but we have to put ourselves in the roar of God's waterfall where the out pouring of the Spirit begins to touch our lives. But some of us are so used to doing religion so dry. It's coming out of our minds, not out of our hearts. Yeah. 
But listen, we have a God that wants to bring atmosphere to the church. We sang about it this morning, divine climate change, where God changes the atmosphere. I believe this is an atmosphere church. That's why I feel connected immediately. Because I go to some churches and I'm like, well, there's lots of people. There's lots of songs, lots of sermons, and it's all good. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not good. I think it's wonderful. There's some incredible moves of God that have very little presence. But my heart was just wired to go, where is God manifesting his presence and turning up and doing those incredible things? You see, in history, take, take revival. Think of the Wesleys. The Wesleys who started the Methodist Church. We remember the statistics of the revival and the fact that they transformed the nation. And in Great Britain, it was actually the Wesleyan revival a few hundred years ago that gave us our middle classes. Because poor people stopped gambling and drinking and suddenly became richer. Can you imagine that? A move of God that creates a whole new class in society. So we remember the statistics and we remember the fruit and the result. But often we forget the atmosphere. Wesley was a field preacher. They threw him out of the church because he was too radical. So he would stand in the fields and they would say, there'd be, there'd be sometimes five, ten, twenty thousand people in the fields as he preached. And they would say to the young men, young man, I know it's a long way to see to the front, but don't get in the trees. Because when Wesley starts to preach, he won't stay in the trees. And then young men being young men, they just ignored them. They used to get in the trees. So imagine it while Wesley preaches and the glory of God hits the field. As he preaches, ah, boom, ah, boom, ah, boom, in the background. Why? Because glory was there. It didn't only transform society. Let's just begin at the beginning. Let's go back to the raw. We'll come to the result in a moment. Let's come back to the raw. We need to be a church that knows what it is to have the divine atmosphere of heaven. There was a headline during the Welsh Revival on the front page of the Times. It said, something from another world is at work in Wales. Oh. There was a Welsh miner. He'd been in mining explosions. And he said the Welsh Revival was like a mining explosion in the sense of he knew what it was to have the, the air filled with the dust of an explosion. He said, Wales, it was like a divine explosion. There was divine debris in the air. You could drink the sense of heaven that was in the air. Because God has the capacity to not only walk into a room, but to walk into a nation. Come on, somebody, grunt a little bit. In our church, we don't say amen, we grunt. Right? These are the days. Think slightly more contemporary. Think Catherine Kuhlman. When she would walk through her local airport, there'd be bodies lying around everywhere because she walked through the airport. In the end, her local airport said, Miss Kuhlman. Because she was a revivalist that carried the presence of God. Miss Coleman, don't come to the airport. We will send a car to pick you up from your home and drop you at the steps of your plane. Do not walk through the airport. It's too much chaos. How's about that? Come on, somebody. That when members of this church go somewhere, they say, whoa, 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 just calm down, calm down. It's just, just you guys are just a bit too wild. I remember being in with Reinhard Bonnke in Africa, and once he was trying to, to set up a large crusade, and he wanted to put the stage next to a, a church with a cemetery on this huge waste ground. And the local official said to Reinhard, no, 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 Reinhard, you cannot put the stage by the cemetery, because when you preach, the graves will open, the people will get out. Can you imagine having that reputation? No, you must put the stage away from the cemetery, because it's just freaky when people rise from the dead. 
How's about atmosphere? Finney was riding past a factory. He was just riding past. And as he rode past, the glory of God hit the factory. Workers began to fall to their knees under the conviction of the Spirit. Why? Because there was a zone of atmosphere. It's like Peter's shadow. Things just happen around you. Why? Because God is not just a set of principles, a good way to live, a moral code, a better way of thinking. He is all those things. But he is also a person. And you can get into the roar of his waterfall and be transformed. Wow. My heart's prayer this morning is that the roar of the waterfall visits this place again. Do it again, Lord. Come on. Anybody, anybody up for another ride? Come on. Ha. Yabba dabba do. Wow, wow, wow. You know, have you heard of Tommy Tenney? The author, well, he, he, um, he's a revivalist if you don't know him, and he's seen some incredible moves of God. And his family, 300 years ago, built a chapel about two miles from our house. So Tommy comes and stays near us quite a bit, and we end up doing, driving him back and forward uh, to and from the airport and stuff like that. And so I, I'm like, no, I'll drive you, Tommy. I want, a, I want two hours in the car with Tommy, right? And, and I'm like, okay, Tommy. Tell me stories of revival, and then that's it. Then I just drive, and I just listen. And he was telling me of a, 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 of a story where Ed Miller, the Argentinian revivalist, visited a church where there had been revival decades before, but nothing was now happening in this church. And Ed Miller turned up at this conference. And when it came to, to be his moment to speak at the conference, he just got up onto the stage, stood, looked at the people, didn't say anything, then just looked up above their heads as if he could see something. And then he just said these words, are you still there? And suddenly out of the heavens dropped this amazing move of God that no one in the room had been able to see but the man who understood what the presence was like. And suddenly the roar of the waterfall filled the church and a revival began again. Just work with me. Christianity is not something we do out of our flesh. We're seated in heavenly places. And there is a move of God right now, pregnant in the heavenlies. And it's for us to take a little Stanley knife, a little razor blade knife, and go, right, shh, Come on, God. How do we do it? Well, here's a good verse. Book of uh, Hosea, chapter 6, and verse 3. says this, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. The word acknowledge there, if you go to the root of it, it means experience. Everyone say experience. Let us press on to experience God. That's our worship, our prayer, our, it's a rare thing these days. Not many people even know what to do with this phrase. But when's the last time you could say, I sought the Lord. I'm seeking his face. And we press on to acknowledge and experience God. And then it says when we do that through our worship and our prayer and our seeking, something begins to happen. It says, as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will step out of the invisible into the visible. He will step out of the theoretical into the practical. He will step 
step out of principle and suddenly you will have glory among you. As surely if you press on to experience God, he will appear. Listen to this. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. I mean, it's almost like a waterfall. It's God falling out of the sky and the atmosphere changing. How do we open the heavens? Press on to experience him. A few years ago, we were going through something that we do quite regularly. We have 21 days of prayer and fasting or 40 days of prayer and fasting with our church. And we were just in the beginning of season of a 40-day seeking God. And I, w- I was driving. Our youth were at a conference. And I, 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 I turned up to pick some of them up from the conference and take them back home. And when I got to the outside of this conference, there lying outside the conference room was six of our youth, completely overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't mean there was a little bit of the Spirit and they were kind of waving around a little bit or doing courtesy drops, you know, anything like that. No, I mean they were absolutely done and dusted, drunk and desnozzled in the Holy Spirit, gone. So I'm like, what's happened to you guys? And, and they can't even talk. So eventually I peel the one off the tarmac that I need to take back. And I dump him in the front of my car and drive home. And halfway home, he kind of comes around enough. And I'm like, what was going? Who was ministering in there? He said, oh, it was no one ministering in there. They threw us out. <laughs> See, because there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of youth, but the Holy Spirit fell on six of our youth to the point that they were completely incapacitated, rolling around through the chairs. So they threw them out of the youth meeting. And I'm driving home thinking, what's this, God? You see, many of us seek God for seasons, right? We put aside time to seek God. We have sabbaticals. We take time out. We do a week of prayer, four weeks of prayer, six weeks of prayer. We do all kinds of different things. Why? To press on to acknowledge him. But who knows that not every time is it extraordinary, but I'm looking at it going, what's this? A week later, we'd planned a conference, and it was called this, God will come like the rain. Now, I've discovered over time that God often reads the advertising to conferences. <laughs> Seriously. He's like, okay, if that's what you want, we'll do that. That sounds good. God swept into our church. People outside the venue were crawling in on their hands and knees. I'm not into long meetings personally. I think the shorter, the better. But we had nine-hour meetings as the glory of God hit the church. Congregation members were coming to me saying, you must open the church all week because we want to come and pray. People will come in, lay their children around the walls, and just seek God through till midnight. Why? It's, I had leaders that said, I thought I was born again, but I feel like I've been born again again. Others were saying, I thought I was filled with the Holy Spirit, but this is filled with the Holy Spirit. I had businessmen that would just lie there going, oh, fire, fire, fire. We had guys that had to take days off work as the presence of God swept through. On the Tuesday after the weekend, we had a staff meeting, and it's normally about 15 minutes long. And I walked in. There was already three staff members on the floor. As I walked in, the moment I saw them, I fell on the floor. Every other staff member that walked through the door fell on the floor the moment they walked into the room where we were meeting. And two hours later, I'm there, guys, we really do need to do some work. As the glory of God rolled in, But the amazing thing, the exciting thing for me is presence at some point always turns into miracles. 
presence has to turn into miracles as God begins to touch lives. And there were people in our church that had needed miracles. Listen to this carefully. Needed miracles for years. And we had prayed every way imaginable. Do you know when someone's really sick? One of our ladies, she'd broken her back. And she'd been in agony, and I mean agony, for six and a half years. No medical help could alleviate it. Her husband is the chair of our directors. He's the, va- the vice president of a large uh, multinational pharmaceutical company. So she had the best care the medical profession can bring, and she was still in agony. And we'd prayed for her every way you can imagine. We'd made her repent of everything she'd ever done, and even things she hadn't done just in case. You know what I mean? You just, you just go for it all. We'd prayed loud. We'd prayed quietly. We poured oil on her. We prayed Ribena. We'd done everything we could do. Nothing was working to heal this woman. But then when the climate changed, sometimes we think we need to change our prayers. No, you need to change the climate. You need to change the canopy you're operating under. And then you're going to find all these things you learn from the Bible actually work. Don't try and get cleverer prayers. Jesus never taught it that way. It's extremely simple to pray. You just have to create the right environment for the kingdom to come. And when he comes, well, I remember this one night, and there was maybe like 70 people in the room. And we got to this point in the meeting. I'm like, well, let's pray for some sick people. And she just stood there, Sandra. And we just, I don't know, about half a dozen of us reached out our hands like we'd done a thousand times. Well, that might be a slight exaggeration, a hundred times before. And as we reached out, I just felt the Spirit of God say, and the power of God was present to heal the sick. I didn't even say it, but immediately she fell to the ground. Now, remember, her back was her problem. So she hits the floor, and I'm looking at her husband going, sorry. (laughs) And we stand over like this, just waiting for her to open her eyes, thinking, is this good or bad? We don't know. And and then she opened her eyes, and we're like, are you okay, Sandra? She looks at her. She says, I can't feel a thing. And I'm like, well, that's either good not so good. And then she bobs up and she grabs her husband and she said, quick, let's go home. And I'm thinking, oh no, we offended her. She jumps in the car with her husband and then she says, right, let's drive home. But instead of the 30 miles an hour missing every pothole that you can, I want you to drive fast. And he drives home fast. She says, come on, you wimp, drive faster. And they hit a pothole and she has a little wiggle, nothing there. And he hits another pothole, she has a little wiggle, nothing yet. She is completely healed after six and a half years just because the roar of the waterfall had arrived. It all works in the roar of the waterfall. Incredible things happen. She was completely healed. Can you imagine? Her husband and children had uh, done the cleaning for six and a half years. So the house needed a really good clean. That week she hired a skip. Would you call it a skip? A big thing to put rubbish in. She's literally picking up furniture and chucking it in the skip herself. She's completely healed and is so today. And the BBC reported on her healing. When the roar of the waterfall arrives, God begins to break out. Those little prayers, and we think, why don't they work? It's because the climate hasn't been changed. That's why a lot of people pray, nothing's happening. I said, okay, you need to take control of the climate. It should be pregnant with heaven. Then you're going to find all these things work that we, that we preach about and talk about. Jesus carried his own atmosphere. It was a zone where miracles were right the way around him. That's who he was. There was a young man called Michael Lockwood, and he had had a stroke and uh, was profoundly deaf in, in both ears. 
And uh, it was, it was, we were doing a healing service again, and nobody prayed for him all meeting. And then he got quite irritated because he wasn't noticed at the back of this meeting. There's maybe, maybe a thousand people in, in this meeting. And, and so at the end, he's really grumpy. And uh, he comes to the front and he talks to our operations manager. Oh, nobody prayed for me, none of the ministry team. And our operations manager said, Well, I'll pray for you. So he picks the guy out of his wheelchair. He immediately falls over, and his hearing aids fall out. I'm like, okay, well, let's try again. He stands him up again. Within a few minutes, the man begins to walk. Not only are his legs healed, but his hearing becomes completely healed. He's had it tested since, completely healed. But here's the amazing thing. You see, I want you to grasp this, that miracles are not phenomena. They're not something for mad charismatics to get excited about because, well, that's interesting. Miracles are love. If you ask Sandra and you ask Stuart and their four kids, so what's happened now Now Sandra's healed? They'll say, oh, I got my mum back. I got my wife back after six and a half years. Michael Lockwood, when he had married his wife, he was a disabled man. In England, we have a tradition that once you're married and you, you head to your home, the man is supposed to pick the wife up and carry her over the threshold. You know that tradition? right? He'd never done that. So two hours after being completely healed, he picks up his wife and he carries her over the threshold. That's what miracles are. You ask that man, what does it mean? He'll says, I can play football with my sons. I can cook a meal for my wife. I have my dignity back. God's glory is not about phenomena. It's his love made manifest on the earth. Now, one of the other most, now there were loads of miracles. Literally, the BBC would come and report on the miracles. People were coming, and they would come to the church before going to, do you call it A&E, Accident and Emergency, or Emergency Unit. I remember people walking in, walking up to the front. I can see this wrecked hand in front of me. I'm like, what are you doing here? And the family said, well, we thought we would come here before going to A&E, because you would see us quicker. <laughs> come on, we need that in our churches, right? Um, uh, oh, jet lag brain, come back. Oh. One of the most amazing things, and I want you to catch this, when the climate changes, it's less about amazing men of God and women of God, and it becomes about the glory of God resting on the church. One of the most amazing things that we saw, that we, we saw um, our youth saw about 40 to 50 deaf ears open. We stopped counting at 50 because we were becoming inaccurate. They saw about 150 people saved on the streets. We stopped counting because it became inaccurate. As 15-year-olds who would one minute be arguing whether Justin Bieber was better than Justin Timberlake, then they'll turn around and say, okay, take your hearing aids out. Let's pray for you. And deaf ears were opening. My mum was sat in a hairdresser's one day having her hair done. And the woman sat next to her says, oh, do you know, I used to be deaf. She just came out with it. I used to be deaf, really. Well, what happened while I was walking? through town and a couple of 15 year olds came up to me and said you've got hearing aids in can we pray for you and so these people they took my hearing aids out oh lord help me going to be sued one day they took my hearing aids out but i've been completely healed and i've just been to the hospital this week and had it tested my hearing is completely recovered through 15 year olds who will pick their nose one minute then lay their hands on you the next hallelujah See, when the climate changes, I always figure, I, I get invited places to teach on miracles and stuff like that. And I always look and I go, I don't really know much about miracles. 
All I know is if you build a culture that revolves around God actually being in the church, we call it a presence culture, miracles are the natural result. They will be everywhere. They'll be with your four-year-olds, your 40-year-olds, your busy people, your full-time people. Miracles will take place. My son, who's not there now, he's, oh, okay, he's through there. When he was five years old, uh, 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 one of his schoolmates um, who was four years old, so in reception class, she broke an ankle. She went to the hospital, had an x-ray. They put a temporary cast on it. She came back to school. Zach, when he was five, would it be five, maybe six, uh, and a few other friends gathered around this little girl, and they prayed, dear Jesus, heal Alicia, amen. The next day, she was due to go for a second x-ray and a more permanent cast put on. When she had the second x-ray, there was no break. She came back to school and took part in the sports day that day. Four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-olds. Listen, when the climate changes, when we get into the roar of the waterfall, God breaks out. And we realize all these simple prayers we pray, they worked. God's atmosphere is in the church and suddenly it becomes thick with who God is. We make a little radio show. It's an edited 23-minute teach out of an hour and a half service, two-hour service. And I remember a couple of visitors coming in the back and it was the prayer meeting before the service and, and they were stood at the back shaking violently and I could see their visitors. So I walked up and said, hello, are you, are you, are you new? Yes, y yes, we, we listened to you on the radio. One of them was saved, one of them wasn't saved, and they were shaking like this. I'm like, oh, right, so you listen to us on the radio. She said, yes, it's not like this on the radio, is it? Unsaved, shaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Presence always turns into miracles, but ultimately the move of God always sends us to the lost. Uh, one of our churches, the main campus, used to be in quite a rough area. You know, um, they would shoot at the building while we were worshipping sometimes, which always gets the worship going really well. People dance really well when the windows are being shot at, you know. And one of our lads went out onto the estate and, and wanted to evangelize to some 15-year-olds. He walked up and said, can I tell you about Jesus? They said something Greek and Hebrew ending in off, do you know what I mean? And... and <laughs> And, and he said, no, okay. And he noticed one guy, didn't need a word of knowledge, one guy had a bad leg. He said, so if God heals your leg, can I talk to you about Jesus for two minutes? And before the guy could answer, he slapped his hand on his shoulder and said, Jesus, heal him. And he leapt off his bike and he began to hold his tummy and shake his leg. And he said, what's inside me? What have you done to me? There's something inside me. Feels good. He said, well, that's the Holy Spirit, but how's your leg? My leg's completely healed. There were a little, it was about six or seven of them. The other guy said, what's going on? As he then stood and began to shake under the power of the Holy Spirit on the street. And he said, well, it's just the Holy Spirit. He's feeling what God feels like and God's saying hello. So these other 15-year-old, completely unchurched from a rough, rough background said, so can we have some? So they, never been to church, stand in a line, put their hands out in satellite dish position just like you would. And he prays for them. They begin to shake under the power of God. Then a group of seven, eight, nine-year-olds walk up. What's going on? The one on the end goes, it's the power of God. <laughs> and then they say, can we have some? So they line up, put their hands out. Seven, eight, nine-year-olds, they get prayed for, begin to shake under the power of God. A policeman walks up. He says, what's going on here? And our friend says, it's just the power of God. Do you want some? He said, no, I've got a job to do. And he disappeared. <laughs> that night, they brought some friends. Twenty lads came to the church that night and gave their lives to Christ. Because... The river sends us out.
The river sends us out. And now as the years roll on with the river and the move of God, here's the, here's the last thing I'm discovering as I'm coming to a close. Here's the last thing I'm discovering. What begins in presence and falling in love with Jesus and falling in love with the sense of the Spirit, living in the roar of the waterfall, living in the rain of his presence, turns into miracles, signs and wonders and prophecy and dreams and visions. But then it begins to turn into sending us to the lost to go and reach a hurting people. Otherwise, there's no need for the river. We'll just sit here as a reservoir and have spiritual fun. But let me tell you, it dies among us. In order to have the Spirit moving among us, we must be facing the lost in the world. But now I'm finding as I track it, I didn't invent this stuff. I'm just articulating what I've seen God do. Here we are now a few years on, and I can see it's changing into something else. It's changing into kingdom come. Guys that were in the roar of the waterfall are now getting elected to office. Guys that were in the roar of the waterfall are now uh, uh, influencing education and media. Two of our guys oversee the education of 40% of the population in one region in Britain. They were in the roar of the waterfall. People affecting media, the BBC come and film and report on stuff that's going on in the church. Why? They, the BBC think we're the miracle place. And I'm like, we don't even do miracle. We just do raw. But raw always ends up in miracles. And miracles always end up in kingdom come and lives being touched. You see, when you follow the river, the genuine river of God, he will lead you to a place called kingdom come. It's his plan. We've heard it once today already. One day the kingdoms of this world will be presented before God as the kingdoms of our Lord and our Savior. And so we are now picking up education and saying, God, here's a school, here's a school, here's some medicine, here's the arts, here's the media. God, send us out his influences to touch the celebrities and the voices and the media of the world. God, take this river and turn it into something that sees your kingdom come in the world. And it all begins back in the roar. And how do you make the roar come? Press on to experience him. And surely, might not even come. I remember Edward Miller, the old Argentinian revivalist, saying, you know, I dug a well and found nothing. And I dug a well and found nothing. So I dug another well and found nothing. And what he meant was each time he was doing a 40-day fast and prayer and seeking God. And then he said, and one day I dug a well again and I found the Argentinian revival. You press on to experience him until he comes like the rain.